0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. And welcome. This is the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. Good to have you with us today. Uh, The global situation and the global politics, as we see it on this day, uh, is is tenuous uh, and I think very troubling to an awful lot of people on a number of different fronts, Uh, certainly what's going on in Gaza and the Middle East. But uh, forgotten in this whole turmoil seems to be uh, there's a war still going on in Ukraine. It's It doesn't seem to, le- to lead story on most newscasts anymore, uh, but it's still very pivotal in what's going to be happening, on not just on the global scene, but I think the future of Europe and the future of NATO as well. And what muddies the water here just a little bit is the fact that uh, funding for Ukraine, uh, which was so generous, I guess, at the beginning of this war almost two years ago now, uh, it seems to have uh, waned, shall we say. Uh, and become a political football in some circles, especially in the U.S. Congress. So what are the implications of that? Our next guest has some insights into that. He is uh, Dr. Robert Hewish. Uh, Dr. Hewish is an associate professor in the Department of International Development Studies at Dalhousie University. Uh, Professor, great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Bill. Thanks for, uh, for bringing me on board.
0: Uh, walking and chewing gum is something governments have to learn how to do. Uh, there was a great deal of interest and I think a great deal of support for Ukraine when Russia invaded them. Uh, that war is still going on. We still see some of the terrible things that are happening there, but has the rest of the world, and by that, I also mean the United States, have they lost focus here? Are they, are they diverted over to what's going on in Gaza to the extent that, that, that uh, I don't want to say Ukraine is necessarily forgotten, but not a priority anymore.
1: Yeah, and I think that's happening in the U.S. <clears throat> more and more as we're getting closer to the, the election that will take place in the U.S. in November. But yes, in the short term, this is what we're seeing in the U.S. But at the same time, Ukraine is actually strengthening and reinforcing commitments to its allies in Europe and in Great Britain. And that is a bit of a positive spin on this on this equation. So over the weekend and into last week... Uh, vladimir, vladimir zelensky was able to to facilitate a new commitment from london and and subsidiarily to that also from players like germany and france to say that support will keep coming to ukraine uh what do that what's that going to mean over the long term not sure because these are other countries that still have their fiscal uh problems just mounting as well but back to your point about the u.s Right now, we're seeing that the U.S. is becoming more and more involved in the Middle East, right? There's a massive naval presence in the Mediterranean. They're spearheading an operation in the Red Sea to go against the, the, the Houthis there in, in, in Yemen. And just, just a couple of days ago, where there was a loss of life of American soldiers in Jordan that seems to be the result of an Iranian drone, to which President Biden said, we will retaliate. So if the U.S. continues to put commitments and presence into the middle east and and not just funding ukraine but they're actually going to put boots on the ground ships on sea and planes in the sky that's exactly what what putin wants to see happen because if the u.s has the time and the political will to keep funding ukraine then that war of attrition will go in favor of of ukraine but if the u.s finds itself in these middle east commitments really tied up, it's gonna put an enormous strain on that ability for Ukraine to keep fighting. And there's other conditions too that are coming into the picture that after two years plus, um you, you know, Russia has been unable to fulfill its goal, which was the removal of, of government from Ukraine. So Ukrainians are still there, but the resources and the the fortitude going forward is starting to strain for sure.
0: Uh, and and the, the Gaza thing, I think, is is absolutely right. You're, that's not something we can simply dismiss. You can't put these things in silos, can you? Because they're all interreacted. And as you say, with the death of American service people this past weekend, President Biden says they will respond, uh, which raises the question, how? Is it going to be militarily? Uh, and is it going to be directly at Iran? And if that's the case, uh, what does that do to to the rather tenuous situation we have right here? Biden... Who clearly, right from the beginning, was very reticent to go face-to-face with Putin. Uh, you know, they would, they would fund Ukraine, but as he always said, no boots on the ground there. Uh, a direct attack on Ukrainian uh, situations and Ukrainian uh, positions uh, is certainly going to elicit another response for them. And we also know that, that Iran exists as, as a major power in that East, but with the support of Putin uh so the the, the, there's there's a lot of ties going on here at the same time and there's one element here i guess that we've talked about here is the the actions or reactions that president biden might have but what about the reactions to that
1: well that's that's going to be the big changer so i think 2024 as it unfolds we're going to see a really hard decision by the u.s to to say are we going to continue to deal with moscow and even iran through soft power or is it time to go for a hard power hit We've seen all these soft power strategies of sanctions and and political condemnation in Moscow, not really impact the drive that's come out from Moscow from Putin to keep going with this this aggressive behavior. But where we're, what's going to be a big game changer is if the the soft power switches to a hard power approach into Iran, that is going to be messy. I mean, the, the previous Gulf Wars, the U.S. just was not willing to go near. Uh, any sort of direct conflict with Iran, and the same holds true today. I mean, this is a this would be a real big problem uh, for geopolitical stability. And already, Iran's had a little skirmish with with Pakistan on the other side of its borders mm-hmm. there. So the the question is, will 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 soft power be able to actually put this down? Will will, will sanctions and political condemnation be enough to subside this, or is Putin? part of this part of his thinking is that he only responds to to hard power and aggression and if that's the case we're we're going to see the need for more boots on the ground in ukraine that that's going to have to happen who and where and what not sure yet but that's likely the case ahead
0: and and again i i we we can't separate ourselves from this what's going on in gaza and we want to know what the the u.s response is going to be to to the deaths of the american soldiers uh, the response from Iran, I, I watched one of the news programs this morning. I forget which senior official it was, uh, from Iran said that wasn't us. Um, and, and I, I guess, what else did you expect them to say? Uh, they said it was some crazy group that, you know, then we don't control the, the, the rebel groups out there. They do what they stuff on their own. Uh, is there any credibility to that? Or does all, does everything go from Tehran? Does all the, 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 the orders, all the, the direction about who's going to do what come from the capital?
1: Yeah. If the crazy rebels now have, uh, Control of drones. We're we're in a bad way. Um, but I mean what you just said there is, is right on the money because Iran has had a lot of influence in all of these conflicts more recently. We know that the 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 with if we go to to, to Hamas there in, in, in Gaza, the weaponry that's come into Hamas has come through Iran. We know that uh, the the sponsorship of the Houthis in Yemen that are attacking container ships, also Iran. We know that drones from Iran have been visible in the conflict with Russia and Ukraine, so they've got a hand in all of this. But it's usually done through their proxy groups. It's 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 Hamas, it's Hezbollah, it's the Houthis, it's those that are just arms length enough so they say it's not us. We can't be called out uh, in, in in any sort of international form for this action. But ultimately, when we're seeing these smaller groups engage in this conflict. The, the the thing that's got to be remembered is that it, it costs money to finance this. It costs expertise and technology. The leadership in Hamas isn't in Gaza, right? They've they've been they've been based in Egypt. They've been based in Qatar. They've been engaged in these international organizations. We know that they've gotten funding uh, out of Turkey as well. These are globally connected groups to which Iran right now is finding itself in a really important position to keep that conflict alive, to keep resources going. To Russia, and there's other actors even coming into it now. I mean, North Korea is getting involved with, with uh, supplying weaponry to, to Moscow as well. And what it is, it shows that there's a real strategic alliance forming amongst these countries, but one that's also hanging by a thread. Uh, technological capability that NATO nations are pursuing are just, they are far superior than what you're going to see out of those countries right now. I mean, there's no forward innovation. Of technology in those countries, it's all reverse engineering, copycatting previously, uh, previous technology in that way. Uh, the research that Britain's putting forward, Germany's putting forward, the French have come forward as well to help support Ukraine. This is about making sure you have a very well equipped, skilled, and now experienced military that's able to basically stand up to an armored regiment and, and put them in, in disarray very quickly with just. Rockets over uh, rockets and backpacks. So this is the the new era of war. But what really does concern me is that if Biden is triggering a response to Iran, where is it going to go? Is he going to go after the proxy groups? Is it going to be a direct uh, affront to Iran itself? And if it's the latter, uh, I don't think any holds are going to be barred for that one. That's going to be a real mess if we go down that road.
0: You're talking about alliances, which is supposed to be one of the things that we we well initiated to try to protect those, uh, which brings us around to NATO. Uh, and and I, I know this it's a, a much more complex situation, but I mean this in the simplest terms, the whole purpose of NATO, the raison d'être, was to try to protect Europe and the world from from Russian aggression. And at those, so, uh, but let's look at it where it is right now in 2024. Uh, and the fact that, you know, as soon as the invasion happened, there a couple of other, uh, well, Scandinavian nations, Sweden among them, uh, wanted to join NATO. Uh, that was okay. Most of the, the, the member countries were on side with that, except Turkey and Hungary. Uh, and you just mentioned Turkey and, and Erdogan. And, uh, if you look at where we are right now, uh, it, it's gotta be a frustrating circumstance. I mean, you know, if these were all like-minded countries that shared a concern about, uh, Russian aggression right now. In 2024, where do Turkey and Hungary fit into NATO? Uh, the leaders of those countries are, are not the sort of people that you think would be on side and, and allied with the United States and other member nations, France, the UK, etc. Uh, their attitude towards Russia kind of indicates that they're on the other side of the fence or at least sitting on the fence in something like this. Um, and here we have, by the way, Hungary still. Uh, you know, not supporting uh, wholly what's going to be happening with new members to to NATO right now. Uh, Turkey came on side. Turkey is still an asset because, from a, a military strategic standpoint, you've mentioned that to us in the past. Uh, NATO needs Turkey. They need the bases there. Uh, their leader they don't have a whole lot of time for, but there's a, str- a strategy in place here. How effective can NATO be when there are there is no necessarily unanimity, but they don't seem to be speaking with one voice on some of these key issues.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's also when NATO imagines what it's going to do with its cooperation with its resources. So <clears throat> we've seen, especially from Canada, talking about NATO, Arctic protection, Arctic, Arctic, Arctic. We don't have the resources to really protect the Arctic right now. That's That's quite clear. I mean, I know we're here in Nova Scotia building boats that are supposed to be doing uh, patrols and whatnot, but it's not going to stop a Russian nuclear submarine, right? So that's Mm -hmm. one thing that's sort of been distracting and not really getting down to the brass tacks of what's needed. I just recently came back from a NATO conference in Poland in December. And now there's a country where you feel a military presence because a lot of the top brass in Poland realize that if there is a conflict, they're going to be the front line. So they're starting to prepare today. They're starting to get things a bit more militarized there just in case it goes forward. So now that kind of speaks to where NATO really needs to figure out what it's going to do. It needs to try to find a way to get resources to the nations that are going to be on the border of this conflict. So Poland's in there, Latvia, Estonia, Finland, of course, was also saying, whoa, are we next when it comes down to this? And with your point about Turkey, it's great because you know, Turkey is a country that does not have full control of its borders. There's there's conflicts in the far eastern part of, of Turkey that remain to the day. They've been going on for decades, whereas the western part of Turkey, where Asia and Europe kind of meet each other, that is one of the most important shipping traffic lanes in the world. So you, you've you got to have this this sense that that is somehow protected. But with, with Erdogan, who's been traditionally deceptive in his leadership, has sort of Bid players off to each other. Whoever is is the, the the most opportune political ally at the time is basically in a country that doesn't have control of itself, and that's the risky part with with NATO. Is that you have these geo you know, strategically important places that are not really on board, and and that just throws uh, throws an, an element uh, that that no one sees coming, and I think that. What NATO needs to do is maybe for the short term worry less about the Arctic uh, technology that's going to need to be, you know, invested there to to ward off Russian submarines, and more about trying to defend Eastern Europe because that's where physically and politically things are going to be at risk of falling over to the other side.
0: And, and and I don't want to be dismissive of what's going on in the Arctic because, as you've told us in the past, it, it's a real and clear and present danger. Uh, to use <laughs> that phrase, uh, Russia has a presence there already. So does China uh, and others. Uh, but this seems to be of a more immediate nature right now. I know that President Zelensky was uh, again doing the touring over the last couple of days. He was in he was in Germany, as a matter of fact. I know you saw that story, and basically reminded the German government, if you guys don't step up here. Uh, and and recommit uh, to to what's going on in right now. Uh, you're not in the crosshairs, but you're going to get sucked into this militarily. Uh, Poland is in the crosshairs, and they realize that. I mean, they they can see it. And to to quote Sarah Palin, we can see you know what's going on from our borders. There, we can look at yeah. our backyard. Uh, but yeah. Germany, of course, is one of the major powers right there in Europe. Uh, is going to be front and center. And Zelensky suggests that if things don't go well in Ukraine, uh, the is going to have to get involved militarily. And I don't think anybody wants to see that happening. So, you know, it, I guess that it's a kind of a reminder to her, I guess, that he's doing, isn't it professor to simply go around to these nations, to France and to Germany and others and say, look, don't lose track of this because the old domino theory that we talked about in the sixties is still very much in play here in Putin's strategy.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, you know, the, the thing that Zelensky is, is, is delivering very forcefully is just that to say like the geopolitical chessboard is moving. We're seeing the, the Americans being now ever more committed to active combat back in the Middle East, which takes them away from supporting uh, Ukrainian endeavors against Russia. But the other thing that sometimes gets missed, but it's always there is the energy dependency that Germany and France have positioned themselves to be dependent upon Russia for. So as much as there's the, the boistering of up to say, Hey, look, we enough Putin, we've had it, you know, without Russian gas and Russian energy still going into Europe, you're going to, you're going to get a lot of people out in the cold. And there's been some sanctioning of it there's been some diversion of it there's been some uh, you know natural liquid natural gas coming in to try to offset the dependence on russian energy coming in it still comes in and there's other trade networks as well between russia united kingdom that still exist and until we you know if we're going to deal with them in a soft power strategy we got to really find ways to make sure that those taps get turned off and that economic dependence isn't isn't as aligned. because as long as it's there there's going to be this tolerance for Russia to survive in its current state uh, under, under Putin and, and hope that Ukraine can just defend itself as long as it can before the other side calls attrition and says it's over. So with, with that kind of a strategy, that's not really convincing. But if Ukraine was to you know, be in a worse position, if action were to start, say, between Russia and Poland or, or Kaliningrad, the piece of Russia just above Poland, Anything to come in there to to cause an on-the-ground conflict would, yes, would bring the rest of Europe into the equation. I don't think anyone's prepared
0: for that. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question right now, just as we finish up here, which could actually engender another four-hour discussion about this. <laughs> yeah. uh, but And we'll do that another time, I hope. Uh, there's a U.S. election coming up in November of this year. Uh, if, and it is a possibility, if not a probability, but a possibility, uh, that Donald Trump becomes president once again, uh, I, I hate to think of what that would do to the dynamic here. I mean, he certainly is aligned with Putin. Uh, does he, and, and one of the things I think that's concerning here, as you've talked about, is how important NATO is to this whole conflict in Ukraine. NATO was weakened considerably during the four years that Trump was in the White House. Uh, if he returns again, does he turn his back on that? Does he sh- does he turn off the tap in funding? And what does that do to the dynamic right now? Because clearly, in uh, as much as there seems to be, you know, uh, some some Republicans in the House that are using uh, funding for Ukraine as a political football right now. Uh, with with Trump, it's not going to be a political football. He's just going to take his football and go home, uh, and which could leave Ukraine high and dry. Uh, is is Putin ragging the puck now, waiting to see what happens in November?
1: It's, you know, it's always scary looking into the crystal ball, but, yeah. uh, you know, I think we do have to look into the scary crystal ball uh, in this way. I mean, the first time that Trump came in, uh, everyone was surprised, including the people around him that, that he got it, which is why in his office he he didn't have the, the place loaded with, with experts uh, and advisors and people who had a specific agenda. They sort of make it up as they went. Now this is different. Trump 2.0 would be armed to the teeth with with these folks who have a very clear agenda of what the world should look like. And I think the first move would be exactly that to basically weaken NATO to the point where it's just back to being a European centered organization. And, and Canada, we, we, we don't fill our commitments very well as is. So we would, with the U S out of NATO, the thing is going to be in real, real peril, but that's something that that Trump could do. And if, there is the present, the, the leading up where there is continued conflict with the U.S. in the Middle East as a result of the, the, the Israel Hamas and maybe spreading into to places like Iran, if that gets served up to Trump, if he wins, uh, all bets are right off because you're going to be dealing with Iran and, uh, and Washington that will have very little regard for international order Now that's really scary when you have two belligerents that have got chemical and biological warfare weapons at hand that's something that we might want to just remind ourselves of but the last thing is is that if there is conflict that breaks out between now and the election under biden's biden's watch the u.s traditionally has been very reluctant to change the commander-in-chief if there's active war that breaks out not saying there's going to be a full declaration of war between now and then but if it goes in that direction that would be the one thing that might turn the tide back for the Democrats to hold the White House, if, if not uh, other branches of government.
0: Well, yeah, as you say, I mean, because we've seen that happen already. I mean, you've got a Democrat in the White House right now, but you've still got, uh, especially in the in the House, uh, Republican control. Uh, and and you don't know where that's going to go. I mean, as you say, with uh, the new speaker of the house there and, and the political ideologies that uh, that they seem to embrace right now i i guess it would be a massive understatement of the stage to suggest that this year 2024 uh is going to be very very pivotal to to the dynamic we're going to see going forward uh in this in this whole global picture not just the middle east uh but what's happening in eastern europe as well yep.
1: exactly i mean we i think some of the, f- the the predictors the the forecasters were thinking that ooh, china taiwan this could be the year for that because there was an election in, in taiwan uh, we see some moves being pulled in India as well as being a place that could have potential conflict around its borders or even internally. Uh, but now it's the, the, this chessboard has moved so quickly to to bring the U.S. into a position where it could have active, engaged uh, conflict on the ground again in the Middle East. And if that occurs, whoever is going to hold that White House, uh, the, the pieces are going to fall in very, very different ways. Uh, we awesome. can only hope that that they see that, that these things are connected ultimately, that uh, a war in the Middle East is an advantage to to Vladimir Putin's goal of continuing Russian aggression in Eastern Europe.
0: Well, and President Xi's goal, too, in the South Pacific, which, again, yeah. is something we'll have to touch on another time. Uh, Professor, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. really appreciate it. Great to see you, Bill. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. That's uh, Dr. Robert Hewish uh, from Dalhousie University. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. Until next time. Take care. Bill Kelly Podcast brought to you by Wizen's Law, personal injury lawyers. Listen, you didn't choose to get injured, but you can choose the right lawyer. Wizen's Law, 905-522-1102 or wizen'slaw.com.